Okay, good morning. So everything is all over the place, backwards and upside down. So we're going to start with the family business. Um, so I don't know if you know this, this is the Tall Ships Festival. If you're wondering why the parking was so bad and there's a bunch of ships out there and stuff in the parking lot, it's the Tall Ships Festival. That's not a big family business announcement, but this is. Uh, we have um, home groups starting up first week of October. There are several things that are really important here at Branches, which means things that we consider a priority for growing in Christ, growing in your life, growing in community, and home groups is one of them, which is why two times a year, we kind of push. There's home groups that are open year-round. There's groups that meet at all different times of the year, and they continue to meet, but there's two times of the year that we really want to help people to take that jump, because it is a jump to get into a group if you haven't done it before, or if you've been in a group before at a different church or even here and it wasn't the best experience for you or something, you know, you're like, oh, that person talks a lot or that person never talks or that guy likes me or whatever the reason is that you didn't feel comfortable in that group, we want to give you another chance to be in a different group. But it's really important. And you'll only know how important it is if you've gone through it or especially to have people come up and explain it to you. So over the next few weeks, we're going to have people coming up. They're in home groups. They've either had great experiences or unique experiences, but we want you to hear about it. And then the last couple weeks of the month, we're going to have groups that you can jump into. But the problem we have at Branch is that we don't have enough groups. And so what happens is, it's a good, good problem to have. A group starts, uh, maybe there's only four people there, and they're like, why should we even do this? Because the other two don't even show half the time. So it's just us. It's like a really small group. It's us. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, a couple other people start coming, this one person comes, then these three people come, and then pretty soon you start to get to know each other, and you care for each other, and you actually look forward to coming. Or maybe you're like, oh, I don't really want to go, I just want to sit home and watch football. But then you actually go, and you're with everybody, and you leave going, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? And that's when your group becomes really healthy, and it becomes healthy to the point where it starts to grow, but it gets too big. So then you have to like say, okay, we can't have anybody else. Not that we want to keep people out, but our group is so healthy, what are we going to do? And so then we don't have enough groups. So what we're asking are two things. There are many of you that aren't in a group, and you know that if you started a group, which scares the heck out of you, but if you started a group, you know people would come. They might not even be at branches. Who cares? They don't have to be from branches, but you know that if you started a group and said, hey, we're going to meet for like six weeks. We're going to look at this. What the Bible, for example, in October, we're talking about the good and beautiful community. So we've been going through, we went on our last session, we went through the good and beautiful life. And before that, we looked at the good and beautiful God. All the misconceptions of who God is, of who we are, and we're going to look at the 
misconceptions and the truth of what the Bible teaches, especially what Jesus teaches, about what it means to be in community. And so we're going to go through that for eight weeks. So you could tell people, hey, we're going to start this group, we're going to meet, we're going to have food, we're going to hang out, we're going to meet for eight weeks. It's beautiful that you say we meet for eight weeks, because then the people you invite know they're not trapped, right? Because if I walked up and you said, Rach, hey, we're starting this group, it's going to be fantastic, we're going to meet forever. Rachel's answer is going to be, sorry, it's amazing, I work every Tuesday night. I don't know how that happened. So all that to say there's a starting point and an ending point, but we need some of you to take that crazy step. We'll help train you. We'll get you to that place. We can't make it not scary. There's no way we know how to do that. But we definitely need some of you to step up and start groups, especially when you know there's people at branches or outside that would want to be a part of that group, but they just need someone to start it. And then the existing groups, we need some of you to consider planting a new one. We're never going to tell you to do it, but we want you to pray about it and consider it. Because some of your groups are huge to the point where I've heard some of you hint at it like, I just... Maybe we're supposed to, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult because you don't want to leave that great group you have. It is difficult. I'm not going to say, oh, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal, and that's why you have to pray about it. You just don't do it to start another group. You have to do it because you feel like God can bless someone else because someone's going to get more from it probably than even you, but that's why you do it, to serve them. So that's the home groups. The last thing I want to say about family business is um, we are going to invite up the La Casa guys. So we haven't been able to really give you as much information as we wanted because we're waiting for escrow to close. So, and some of you are like, what? And some of you for the past few months have been, what? We're going to give you some more, ah, this morning. So I'm going to invite the La Casa boys up. If you guys could come on up. Could you please welcome up? So the family, the family, the mics are right here. You guys don't have to sit down. That's for someone else. You guys should stand. You're young. Stay standing. Uh, but you will need those mics, especially you, BT. So these are the four guys. Um, we have a waiting list of guys that wanted to get in, but we had to cap it at four. And the whole intention was we were doing work in the San Juan area um, with the last, the lost, and the least, meaning the community of people that we believe that the culture in general, general has marginalized, have cheated, ignored. It's not right. Um, for example... Branches did not buy the property. We can't afford that, and that's, that's not where we're at. But a family bought it, and they're renting it to us at an amazing rate. But as a church, we've decided to put money aside for that purpose because we wanted to put this there. So one of the people that came in that's very involved in La Casa has heard about it but didn't get a chance to see it. So they came in after, at, right before escrow closed just to look at a couple things. And when they walked in, as soon as they walked in, there was a guy, the guys that were living there before, there was a guy drunk on the floor, passed out in the living room, no furniture, and he just, boom, on the floor. And then he looks over, and there's a five-year-old just walking around. The five-year-old had to be there with this guy and the other people that lived there, but his parents weren't there because his parents had to work because that's how they're going to survive. They're not ne neglecting parents. They just don't have any other options. They don't have family there. They don't have money to pay a babysitter, and they both have to work so that they can make it. My daughter's five. I get scared if she walks 10 feet away from me in a parking lot, but she was left alone in this house because that's the situation a lot of these people are in. And there's kids everywhere, little kids, big kids. And so as a church, we said, you know what, we've got to move into the neighborhood, and we really want to mobilize the people from branches because once you see it, 
it makes sense. And this guy that came into the house walked in and saw this, and he told me, he goes, oh, oh, now I get it. We've got to be here. This needs to be an open-door policy. And so these four guys have chosen to live here for one year, uh, maybe longer. We'll see how it goes. Uh, here for the year to, as an internship, but their job is to love the community. Not to create a bunch of projects, but to come in, to live, and to be a light in the community. So each one of these guys is going to share a different time. Uh, I'll introduce them now and let them, uh, well, you know what, BT? Why Would don't you? Like this, introduce why, this is the captain, El Capitan of the house, BT. So BT, why don't you take it from there? Well, we've got Macho here. Um, he comes to us from Costa Rica. And we've got Josh from San Diego, and we've got Joe from Wisconsin. And um, yeah, thank you. So each of you will get a chance to say one thing about the other guys. If you were to do it quick, now this is you, BT, because you're the talker today. Okay. What would you want them to know about these three guys? Well, um, got to spend, I think, the most time with Joe. Got to go down to Sano, introduce him to that scene. And um, yeah, I think he's just super excited to be here. Um, he's very intelligent. I think that's a very yeah, strong right. point for the La Casa house. <laughs> um, and uh, we've got Josh, who just seems like I was immediately comfortable with him within seconds, I think, of meeting him. And I think you've got that around you, which is just a very another big plus for La Casa. We've got Macho, who I got to spend a morning with and laugh with a lot, and <laughs> I think that'll come in handy too, so, yeah. All right, thanks, BT. So BT is now going to share with you, because each of these guys is going to share for this month, because we want to expose you to who they are, what La Casa is, and then also for you to find a way in which you can support these guys and be involved in the work that's happening. So, BT, why in the world are you doing this? Like, what, before we get into what La Casa is, what in your life made you think this is a good thing for you to do at this time? I think the concept of just impacting a community uh, organically and um, just without, yeah, setting up programs, but just really being a part of it and addressing, I guess, needs as they come up and meeting needs. Um, so I think putting together a good group contingent helps with that and praying about things on the spot and um, just seeing what uh, can be done, you know, short term and long term, and uh, just how can kind of minister the gospel relationally in a community. So, yeah. <laughs> so, what? Two questions here. What are you most excited about coming up, or what you, do you hope happens? Does that make sense? Like the thing that you want to happen. Like if, at the end of the year, I hope this happens. But what are you most scared might happen within the next year with you living in this community, not being able to speak Spanish, not being, like, all the different things that could be living with Josh, all the different possibilities. What are you most afraid of? Man, um, so what are my hopes and my fears, more or less? Yes. Um, At the end of the year, this yeah, is what I like, hope happens. I hope I think I'm scared of this happening. I can do it in one answer in that it's always incredible to go through a trial or a period of time and to look back and be thankful for something difficult you went through. So I think that, not just for me personally, but seeing like a situation and a house and a community and reflecting on that will probably be what I'm hoping for and also 
the trial part is a little bit what I'm fearful of. <laughs> You're fearful of? Oh, just, I guess, like, spiritual warfare, you know, to put it bluntly, and just that reality. And um, also uh, just what comes with that, like having to deal with that emotionally and physically, psychologically, all that, just uh, on a daily, hourly, minute basis. And so, yeah, when you're not, I think we'll be wanted there for who we are, but um, I think the enemy is real and not into that. So, yeah, I think that's a big fear. Okay. So prayer is important. Please, you know, keep that in mind and, uh, and be active in that with us. So what can these people and the people that aren't here do to support you guys? Prayer. Other than prayer. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, I think even showing up or just connecting, if we can network a bit in that way, and um, just even share a meal. Like, it doesn't have to be something you sign up for, but just uh, we will have a pretty open-door policy. And, um, yeah. So that was mantra that whispered into your food. Food, yeah, right? Is that yeah, what he said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just check it. But yeah, not really even just supplying us with food. If that's something you're good at, we will accept. But um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just just checking it out and and being available. Like it is, I would say like an intimidating neighborhood, but just a neighborhood where you know it's someone else's place and um, there's not a lot of parking. So. Um, yeah, if you can cruise in on a bike, there's a cool bike trail in there, I found. And um, <laughs> now, but there's enough parking, and in daytime, it's no problem. But yeah, just we could throw the address out there, and you could show up. That'd be rad. Thanks, BT. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so it'll start to make more sense as time goes on. Um, but think of it this way. Think if you moved into your neighborhood primarily, not because of what the, how good the schools were or not because you got a great deal or not because you have an ocean view or not because you got a three-car garage, but what if you chose a neighborhood simply because you knew the neighborhood needed you to move in and the only reason you chose that neighborhood was to figure out how you could love the community around you. That's what they're doing. And actually through this whole process, it's been really convicting for me because that's not why I moved into my house. Um, and so I've had to like go backwards. And so it's been really helpful for me in my own neighborhood and also exciting for us to see what else we can do in the neighborhood we've already been working in. Because I like the way BT said, hey, it's not our neighborhood. But the hope is, is that by us loving the community and being there, that they will consider us part of the community and we would get to that point. But that's only going to happen when you live there. So they're the front line. So let me pray for us and then uh, let's get started. Father, um, it's an exciting day, so many amazing things happening. Uh, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, not just the word of God, but uh, through the words that come out of my mouth, that they would be your words and not mine, that something that the children said or something that BT said or something that Jerohoku said, that something, the words would be your words and not ours. And show us what words to hold on to. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are looking at family this month. And I feel like I want to be down low today. I haven't been down here in a while. So um, don't worry. I don't think it's my personality to pull the John Nor. Oh, we're doing, oh, Bibles. I was like, are we doing offering or something? What are you guys doing? 
Uh, so Bibles, which you'll need. So if you need those, just hand, and you can make these yours if you want them. Um, as we're looking at family, last week we talked about if you want to see what your family can be, you need to stop blaming your family for what it wasn't, the family you were born into. Um, and this is applicable to everyone because you're all a human being and you're either part of a family or you're starting a family or you will start a family. You're connected to family in one way or another. You either are or you will be. Um, and the re- one of the reasons we're going through this is because for us, the family ministry is super important. These kids that came up and the kids that are arriving now, they're just now getting dropped off by the shuttle, those, those kids are extremely valuable to us because they're, they're children. They're human. They're, they're souls that we have been given responsibility to care for. And as we talk about um, the good and beautiful community, one of the primary focuses of a church is to care for each other. We're going to talk about that in depth coming up here pretty soon. But I, I want to really focus us on caring for our kids. I know we're going to talk about marriage here, but we can't talk about family. We can't talk about marriage without talking about kids. And so I wanted to make sure that I communicate this pretty much every Sunday. That our kids' ministry, our family ministry, the kids' club that's going to start up once a month, that is huge to us. And when I say us, I mean anyone that calls branches home. And so we want every single person that calls branches home to find their place in kids' ministry. Because a ministry to the kid is a ministry to the family, which is a ministry to a human being, which is ministry to a future adult. And they hunger for it. And the thing is, is, and I know what this is like, because I remember when we started Shoreline, and there were six of us, and then there were like 20 of us, and then there were like 30 of us, and then there were like 30 of us. I looked around, and there was nobody to care for the kids. And I'm like, guys, we got to do this. And as I'm saying this, I'm saying, why am I talking about this and I'm not doing it? Okay? If you want to drain all the energy from my body, then put me into the room with all the kids and make me be the teacher or make me even help. That will drain every piece of water and oxygen from my body. But it had to happen. Like, it has to happen. And so I remember saying things like, oh, but I'm tired. I had a busy week. Uh, you know, we've got our own kids, and I, if I go in there, then I've got that. My wife's a teacher, and then when, you know, she's been with kids all week, and then when she's done, she doesn't want to be with kids, or, you know what, that's the only time I have, or I really need to hear the word of God and be able to worship. I used all of those reasons. But as I'm standing there talking to people in this room, and I'm saying, you guys need to work with kids. I wasn't even the lead pastor guy. I was just the, a guy. And as I looked at that, I went, I can't say this if I'm not willing to serve these kids. Because if it's really that important, then I need to do it. I mean, our children's ministry, that's the reason we hired Evan. Because our family ministry is not where it needs to be. We had a vision when we planted branches four years ago. And we haven't haven't got there. And it has to be something we all pour into. It's like that bag of tools I pulled out. Some of you are the strawberry stem puller outer. I don't know what that exactly does, but that's your skill set. Maybe you're the person that's going to, you know, whip things up. Maybe you're the person that's going to spoon it up. I can't remember. You're the, you're the bacon flipper. We all have a place. So maybe you're like, I can't go in the classroom. Before you say that, could you maybe consider it? Because some of it is just being there and just playing with the kids because they just need to know someone cares. Some of it is crowd control. 
Some of it is we need you to check in there. So when parents come, they're not completely freaked out. For some of you, it's like you go back there and you see the kids' ministry toys we have, and you're like, are you serious? This is what we're letting our, it needs to be clean, or we need to get some new stuff. I'm going to get some new stuff. And I'm going to tell everybody else I know they need to go buy stuff for these kids. Uh, maybe it's like, well, I play music. Well, maybe you can go back there and lead music. But whatever it is, we all have to find our place because it's one of the most important things we do. And so we're pulling a team of people together to bring this to the level that it needs to be because they're worth it. And we've talked about this as a leadership team, and it's primary to me. If people come to branches and they go, you know, the worship's fantastic, the teaching's really in the word, the kids' ministry, eh, we're not where we want to be. Now, if they come and they say, the word of God's being taught by this guy, Boog, and some other, eh, worship, eh, but kids' lives are being changed. I want my kids there, or I want to tell these other kids about it, because I want to get those kids there, because something's happening there. We'd rather have that than the, the other. We'd rather have it all. But I want to communicate how important the kids are to us. And so when we're trying to rally people to do it, I just want you to know that's who we are and that's what we're about. And you may go, oh, this, that's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. We just want you to know who we are. But if you're a part of this church, we expect everyone to find their place because the kids are worth it. All right. Thank you, children, for sitting through that lecture. But I really wanted to share our hearts and our passion. And I'm going to say it in different ways at different times this month because it's that important to us. Um, if our church shrunk in half, but yet we were caring for those kids, it's a win-win. It's that important to us. So let me pray. Father, I'm praying because you have to make this happen. You are the vine, we are the branches. And we look at our kids and we, we don't want any kid to not feel this is their place or this home. We don't want any parent to not feel that this is not the most amazing place for their kids and for them. But you're going to have to do that, Lord. We'll give you our measly offering to make that happen, our, our time and our, our small talents. Lord, turn it into what it needs to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're talking about marriage this morning. And as we talk about marriage, I could pretty much go till 2 o'clock on this one because it's that important. Don't be scared. We're not going that far. But I had to focus on something. I had to stop somewhere at some time. And so this is a common thing that happens. I get the joy of being able to marry a lot of couples, young, old. Um, unfortunately, I also get to do a lot of counseling. And there's a common theme that comes up. And so I want to choose one situation that happened uh, with a friend of mine. He, he came into my office and we were... He didn't want to come in. And I said, you know, let's just sit. I kind of tricked him. Let's be honest here. I tricked him. And he came into the office, and we were talking about marriage, and he just started going off. She should be doing that. I can't believe in this and that. Da, 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 da. And as he was going, um, it struck me, this guy should not be married. Why are you talking? Like, and so as I sat with him, I said, you know what? I'm sitting here, and I hear what you're saying. But I was at your wedding, and I remember the promises that you made. I remember the vows, the commitments you made. I remember all the things 
going into it prior to the two of you getting married and the conversations we had with both of you as a couple, and we pulled in other couples, and we discussed and we processed through this. You sound like a child right now. You sound like a kid who didn't get what they wanted, and you're just complaining about it. Like, those weren't any of your promises. I don't remember you promising, babe, I promise that when you don't have the dinner ready on time or it's not as good as I like it, I am going to rip you up. I will be there for you to make sure that you understand that you need to financially contribute to the family. And when there's not enough money, it will be your fault because you spend too much. I will not let you get away with that because I care. And when our kids need to be disciplined, and you're not doing it because I've got to be the fun guy, then I'm going to let you know. And I'm going to do that for you. And when I want to go on that trip with my friends and you hassle me, I'm going to remind you that you promised to love me and that I need this time so that I can be everything I need to be in life. I don't remember any of those promises. I don't remember that coming out. I remember you saying for richer or for poorer in good times and in bad. I remember all those promises. You are sounding like a child that didn't get what they wanted on Christmas or on their birthday. You know how that works, right? And when he said that, the reason it stuck in my head is because I just got back from Africa, and I was, um, it was one of those nights where it was really hot, and it's the summer, and there were mosquitoes everywhere, and so I was on this couch sleeping at these people's houses, and I brought my own little net, and there was nowhere to hang it, so I had the net literally over me. But I had to have it, like, it can't be on you, because then they can just drop down and bite you. And, of course, there's malaria there. So I've got, I've got this stick, and I've got things, and I'm just in there. So I'm not sleeping at all. And as I looked over, there's this huge bookshelf. It's Dick and Charlotte Day. So, I mean, the guy wrote half the books that are up there. So there's this full bookshelf, and they're old. They're not, like, you know, top sellers right now. They're not in... But they're there. So I, I, I take the race with the net over me, of course, and I run over to the bookshelf and I grab it and then I have my little light and I put it up and I'm under there and I'm opening up this book and it's on marriage. And it said the most beautiful, true statement. It said that children should never marry. And so I just got back from Africa and I'm standing here in front of my friend and he's just sounding like a child. It sounded... It sounded like a child that, well, I say this at weddings all the time. I, I'll, the, 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 the couple will be standing here. I don't share this all the time, but it's so important I say it too much. I say some of you think this, that marriage is like it's Christmas. And you're so excited because after I do yay and you walk down, then you get to open up your present. Let me tell you what's going to happen. This week, next month, the rest of this year, you're going to come, and especially this first day, this first day, this is your first day, you're going to open up the box, you're going to look in to see what you get, and you're going to look in, and it's going to be empty, because that's what marriage is. Marriage is an empty container, and the only thing you're allowed to do is to put things into it. Those are the promises you just made, right? You made promises that you are going to love, that you're going to give, that you're going to sacrifice that you're going to be patient, that you're going to go, that's what it means. And yet, we all do it. We're like, well, you know, is, is this going to work out for me? Is this the best decision for me? You're not ready to get married. 
You need to get to that place where you are willing to die. When you're willing to die for somebody else, you're ready to get married. That doesn't mean you're excited about dying, but when you're willing to give your life away and you're willing to go 65 years, and at the end of those 65 years of marriage, 70, 75, 80, see, I'm being very um, optimistic for you guys, you make it to that point, at the end, you can look back and you can see that you filled the box, but what if the person put nothing in it? That's the promise you're making when you get married, right? You're just trusting they're going to do it, but that's not always going to happen. But God is calling us to give our lives away in marriage. And so, so many of the marriages are horrible because everyone's arguing about what they didn't get in their box. You know what that's like if you've ever seen kids? Happens in our house all the time. Oh, I was kind of hoping for this. Children should never marry. There's a scripture I want us to look at. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You can look at it in your Bibles, or you can look it up here, hopefully. Um, it says this. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. This is not just to married couples. This is to human beings. This is to people who are following Jesus. This is what the Word of God says. The attitude you should have is the same one that Jesus had. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had, and he took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. This is not about getting married and then going, oh, okay, well, I'll just love my wife but nobody else. I'll just love my husband, but I'm not going to give my, just my, just my spouse. That No, this is, you need to have this lifestyle. You need to be this type of person. You need to move in this direction. Look, we all understand we're not going to reach this place. We're not going to reach a place of perfection. But that is the bar that's been raised, as we talked about last week. Jesus sets the bar high, but he never condemns us for falling short. But this is the bar. The bar is Jesus. To be the husband or the wife that you're called to be, this is the bar. This is the standard. That like Jesus, who had the nature of God, did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and he took on the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and he walked the path of obedience. Obedience to what? Their spouse? No. Obedience to God. The first step, the first step in being a man or a woman is obedience to Christ, is obedience to your heavenly Father. You see, because you can be a husband but not be a man. You can still be a boy. You could be a wife but not be a woman. We need to grow up. And to grow up, what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like being like Jesus. And the first step is to be obedient unto God. And so I was thinking of all these different couples we could talk about. Even I had several married couples I was going to bring up front. I have one married couple that will come up here in a little bit. But then I thought about Joseph and Mary. Think about it. If you have your child and you had to entrust your child with someone, 
who would you entrust them with? You'd think long and hard about it, right? And if you were really smart and wise, you would choose the best couple. The Heavenly Father chose Joseph and Mary for Jesus to grow up in that family. The Savior of the world, the only begotten Son of God, was entrusted to Joseph and Mary. So what kind of people are Joseph and Mary? And I want us to look at Joseph and Mary before they were married. We could talk about all the beauty in their marriage, because there's so many examples, but there's only so much time. I want us to talk about Joseph and Mary before, before they got married, because they're amazing. But, but they're not, they're not, um, how do you say, they're not charismatic. You know that because every time Jesus came back, they go, wait, weren't this Joseph and Mary's kid? Like, they don't even really know for sure. That means Joseph and Mary didn't really stick out. It's not like they walked down the street, and they led the community, and he was the mayor, and she was in charge. That's not how they were. But yet, God chose them. What was it about them that he chose? There's only a few things that we get to see about Joseph, so I want us to look at this. We know that Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. Now, you don't know this. Mary was most likely between 13 and 16. Didn't see that coming, did you? Okay? Because that's how it was at that time period, 13 to 16. All the 13, 16-year-olds that didn't go back are freaking out right now. Okay? That's how it was done. He was probably older, probably mid-20s, maybe even 30s. What? Okay? So it's already our head spinning on how this works. Children should never marry, right? But she was between 13 and 16. So you can be young and yet still be a woman. You can be young and still be a man. It's not defined by age. And so Joseph's engaged, and he's excited, I'm guessing. And all of a sudden, she shows up one day pregnant. And he's a godly Jewish man, and he knows he's never slept with her. Not the best place to be. So what he decides to do is, we don't hear the argument. We don't hear any discussion. I'm sure there was some dialogue. But he decides that he wants to divorce her quietly, as it says in Matthew 1.19. He wants to divorce her quietly. Why? Because she has to deal with a lot now. Because if he divorces her, set her aside, which means the engagement isn't going to continue. If that were to happen, think about it. What happens when she goes to the water well to go get water? What, what is the community going to say? In fact, legally, she can be stoned. She can be killed for doing this because she was engaged to another man. But as he considered these things, it says that an angel of the Lord came and spoke to him. You know what? If that happened to me, Stephanie and I, were dating. I'm all excited. April 29th, that's our big day. Woo! I'm waiting for it. And all of a sudden, she goes, I'm pregnant. What? Well, you see, the Spirit of God came and... I'm a man of faith. I know God can do that. I just can't take that leap of faith. So it makes sense that Joseph is willing to say, look, I don't think this is going to work out. That's kind of too big a jump for me. God's patient enough with Joseph to understand that. So he has to send an angel. I haven't had any angels that I know of have any conversations with me. It's happened to several people that I know of. There's certain times at certain places where this has to happen. This is one of those times. And this is what Joseph is told. Joseph, son of David, do not fear 
Why is he saying, do not fear? Because Joseph is afraid. <laughs> afraid of what? This might not work out. Hey, look, what are people going to think? I can't even trust her. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Such a simple sentence, but think about that. If, if the Lord comes to me in that, in that dream and I wake up, I'm still a little hesitant about this. I'm like, okay, I appreciate the angel. That was really cool. This is a big deal, though. Really? Like, that was, I wasn't even with her. What, this is not, I would have all these questions, but Joseph is humble. Joseph serves God. You're not ready to get married. Your marriage is not going to be all it can be until you make the decision that you are going to serve. Serve God first and then your spouse and then your children. And then you get the scraps. You know that's how it's going to work, right? I mean, I hope we all know that because too often I'm sitting with couples and they don't get that. Too often I don't get that. I mean, I'm not saying this like I've got this mastered. I'm saying this because I've got to remind myself. I'm reminding many of you that already know this. We've got to be reminded. And as we look at Joseph, this is the type of man he was. This is the type of man that you husbands need to be. Now, it, it was a pretty rough go for Mary. But imagine Mary when she hears this. Hey, Mary, you're chosen of God. Guess what? Unmarried, you get to be pregnant and you're not married to Joseph yet. We understand that. We'll figure that out. But you've been chosen for the Savior. Congratulations. If it's one of the ladies here or my wife or any normal human being, they're like, wait, wait why didn't you not just wait? Why couldn't, why does it have, this, uh, you know how hard this is going to be? Because in that culture, you are the bad girl. More so than ever, in any culture you can imagine in your mind, this is the top place where you don't want to be pregnant and not married. This is the place where it's not supposed to happen. This place at this time. And here it is. Boom. I mean, she's going to walk up to the well and like, oh, must be tough with all those Roman military men coming in town, hmm, for a young lady like yourself. All those little snide remarks, and people don't care. They're going to say those things. And yet... She goes through with it. Think about this. There was nothing told to her about Joseph. They didn't say, oh, we're going to talk to Joseph for you. We'll make it work. That wasn't said. And so after this is all said, this is what Mary says. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm yours, God. Let it be as you want it to be. Not, you know what, God, can we sit and talk about this? I'm not ready for this. This isn't the way I want it. No, she says, I'm your servant. Let it be as you have said, according to your word. She was willing to give up Joseph to obey God. There was no promise, and she had every expectation that Joseph was gone. Makes sense, right? She was willing to give up her own life because, like I said, it was legal for her to be stoned because of this. 
and her saying, oh, no, no, but really the Holy Spirit, yeah, right. That's what she's dealing with, and yet she trusts God. She chooses God over her future husband. Think about the fall. Adam and Eve. Adam chose Eve over trusting God. And then everything fell apart after that. In our marriages, we give our lives away to the other person, but we have to give it away to God first, above all. And that's why you have to make such smart decisions before you even get married. And if you're already married, you need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm your servant. And see what he does. See how he transforms your marriage. See how he changes and moves things around. I know how hard this is. And especially I think about this because I know how many of us are already married. I know how many of us here are divorced. I know how many of us are here divorced maybe several times. This is not meant to guilt us or shame us. Because if you know you feel any guilt or shame, you know it's not of God. We've talked about that a gazillion times. God does not guilt or shame us. He's our heavenly father who guides us and moves us in what he wants for us. (laughs) There's many dads and many moms that write books for their kids. The word of God is it's like our Heavenly Father's book to us to give us wisdom and guidance on how to do this. And when it comes to what it means like to be married, this is what it's supposed to look like. And this isn't just about marriage. This needs to be who you are. Because you can't just fake it in your marriage and then be selfish outside. It's a matter of growing up. It's a matter of making that decision in your life where you say, you know what? I'm here on this earth not to get as much as I can. I'm here on this earth to give as much away as I can. That's where the joy, that's where, the, that's where the, the beauty comes from. And I want to close with this before I invite up the, the Millers. I, I struggle at this. I struggle at being a pastor because I know who I am. I struggle at even being someone to say that I follow Christ because I know all the ways I fall short. I'm not saying this to make myself feel better. I'm saying it so that you can maybe think the same way. You have no idea how lame I would be if I wasn't following Christ. I am so much farther above where I was before because I'm following Christ. I, I fall short, but yet I know that God does not condemn me for falling short. He sets the bar high because he loves us and he wants us to know at what, what it looks like. Marriage is designed that we would enter into a relationship to give our life away, for richer, for poorer, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health. And I remember when I had reached the point in my life when I said, okay, I guess I'm not going to get married for a while because I'm leaving the country. I just struggled with dating this girl for four years, and that was a complete waste of time. What am I doing, Lord? I don't know what I'm doing. So I just, sur- it, it, you're in charge now. I can't figure this thing out. And um, so about a year and a half passed. I was getting ready. Things were about to change. And then I met Steph, my wife. And I recognized her. Now, when I say I recognized her, what I mean by that is I'd never seen her before. Nobody told me about her. I, I, I sat and talked with her for just a little bit. And as I'm sitting here, I'm sitting next to this person 
that reminded me of the woman from Proverbs 31. Now, Stephanie doesn't sew. She doesn't take fabric and do all kinds of stuff it says in Proverbs 31. But if, as we talked about before, the woman in Proverbs 31 is a woman who's a servant. She lives to care for other people. She's, she's built her life around caring for the kids, for the poor, for the people in the community, for her parents. That's who she is. And as I sat with Stephanie and talked with her, and I, I, I mean, she's beautiful, but I forgot what she looked like after, when I went to meet her for our first date. Because I met her, and then I asked her out, but I forgot what she looked like because I was so overwhelmed by her heart, because of her humility, the way she was caring. And I just went, that's the girl. That's the girl I'm going to marry. And then I second-guessed myself for eight months, and then we got engaged. But I say that to say, are you going to be recognized? If you're married right now, will she recognize you? Will he recognize you as someone that belongs to Christ, as someone that has the attitude of Christ, who being in very nature strong and powerful chooses to give that up and instead takes on the nature of a servant? in obedience to God and gives their life away. Will you be recognized? This is, this is the goal. So I want to invite up the Millers, if we could get them some help coming on up. This is uh, Jim and Claudette Miller, and they're going to be sitting up here. And these are my kids' great-grandparents. You know, you have to figure out how many greats to put in. How, how many years now are we at, Claudette? 63 years of marriage. And during these 63 years of marriage, it has been absolutely perfect. They have it so mastered, there haven't been any problems. And so I have them here speaking to you of all their many successes and the things that have gone well. Um, they are beautiful. I have them speaking often to our young married couples, and then we talk about them as the treasures. And I, as I was thinking about different couples being up here, I thought I didn't want to cheat us of not having maximum time from them. So there's going to be a, um, a number you can text to up there if you want to, to ask them any questions. Uh, but I have some questions for them ahead of time. Um, you heard the whole sermon about children shouldn't marry, and so I'm blabbing. I've only been married for 18 years. What would you say? What would you say to us about that? And remember, hold the mic close so they can hear you. I have learned through the experience of getting married young and seeing people married a little bit older that there is a lot of difference. The little world called maturity and you take advantage of in the years that you can spend after you be with a person in learning to know them and learning to know how they are what they need what they want good morning uh, I have hearing aids in and I'm not real good at it so if I'm not speaking up let me know um, I w I'll go into a little longer detail than Jim naturally that's me <laughs> Um, I was 17 when I got married. <laughs> and at 17, I thought I was 35. Uh, married probably because he was my knight in shining armor. There was all that 
feeling of, you know, the giddiness, the in love, the wonderful feeling that young people have. But I got married out of high school, and I was immature. Uh, Christ at that time I was always in my life. I was many different religions, and um, but he was not the center of my life. I didn't marry Jim because he was a Christian. I didn't really think a lot about that. Um, I fell in love with him. I was attracted to him. Korea came, and I got married. And with that, um, I don't advise that when you're younger. Uh, I also definitely advise having training in the church, uh, classes with marriage. I didn't. I came from a broken home. So I have to say I had a fairy tale idea of getting married. So the fairy tale, did it ever end? Or are you still living? How, how that no, work? the fairy tale didn't end. Uh, we had a lot of ups and downs. Young people, no matter what age you are, get married. Uh, young people are, I think, very selfish people. I thought of what he could do for me. He was a popular young man. I was very shy at times. And um, I thought what he could do to entertain me, what he could give to me, uh, knew the number of children I wanted and all of this and had it all planned out. Uh, our life didn't always take that path, but today we're here. <laughs> so I've heard you two share before at different times where you felt like you were childish or you weren't the husband or the wife that you could have been at, at the time. So what are some of the mistakes that you made or what are some of the selfish things, patterns that you were in? You shared some of yours, Jim. Well, I was brought up in an area that I was a <clears throat> minority among minorities. I was born in downtown Los Angeles and raised in East LA. And so I didn't have too many people of my nationality that I associated with. And so I was very picky in who I was contacting and uh, things along that particular line. I never really had anybody to talk about church with my folks, my mother was baptized Catholic, but never went to church. And my dad went to church when they had a bus that he could ride. Outside of that, he never attended it. But uh, I had experience. I, we did not plan on getting married at the age that we did. We were going to wait a couple of years, get to know each other better. But as it came about, I was drafted in the uh, service at the age of 20. And uh, at that time, I was a professional baseball player, thinking that I knew all about women and knew all about playing the game of baseball. As it turned out to be, uh, women were something different, and my baseball, my baseball came to an end when I was wounded very seriously in Korea. And so. After I got back, got out of the service, we had to start a new life. Prior to that, we were thinking about a life of being a professional baseball player. And uh, I had to go to a completely different occupation. But I had a woman that was very, very understanding. And the thing that we went through was the maturing process. 
it took us a while to get to really know each other. Uh, it was uh, it was wonderful. She had a lot of patience, and she taught me to have patience. So we were very, very fortunate to be able to get through a lot of tough times, mentally, physically, and have the family that we have now. So what are some things that you've seen the other person do over these 63 years where you saw them sacrifice for you? Um, I think with my husband, um, he had different times in his life. Uh, there was sacrifice. Um, of course, when he first came back from Korea, he, he had almost died in Korea. And so he came back an older, more mature man, ready to settle down and be a husband and give to me. Uh, there were times, though, I didn't like the way he gave. <laughs> uh, he, um, he was um, very clean. And he felt that his job when I miscarried a child was to start cleaning the house all the time. So we played a, a strange game in our youth. I cleaned house on a Thursday. I was a creature of habit. And Saturday, he did it all over again. <laughs> so, and I resented that. And I didn't think about he was trying to be nice, didn't want me to do things. I had trouble with physically my next pregnancy, which was our first child. So I can tell you one funny anecdote to not to do on your husband, to make him angry. I took the vacuum cleaner and took it next door and gave it to my neighbor and hid it. <laughs> and he was angry. And he was very mad at me. So we had a lot of foolish, immature games we played. When he was older, he gave, of me in many, gave to me in many ways because there were times when I didn't feel good and he learned to begin to let go of certain things and help me. He learned to let me go on a few retreats and he babysat all the children and I thought that was pretty good. We had four. And um, to, I don't know how, we don't have a lot of time, I know. I can tell you that um, when you say rich or poor, sickness and health when you're young, you, you don't think about it. I didn't, went in one ear and right out the other. But we had poor at times and we had sickness. And um, through that times, my husband learned, I think, humility. Uh, he almost died of alcoholism. Our marriage almost didn't make it. And we were almost divorced in our 40s. And by this time, I had listened to a Billy Graham crusade in the early 70s, which brought the Holy Spirit into my heart. So I went searching and he, became a very humble man through that. And my husband had been a very proud man. And then later through, I had to go to work for a while and he didn't have a job for a while at a time we thought was gonna be a wonderful time. We had raised kids and all. And we learned that money is not what brings happiness. It's the, it's the caring, the day-to-day -day sharing and God has to be in your life today. I know that. In my situation, I came from a family that had a lot of love, 
My mother and dad were married young too, not as long, young as we were, but married young. And I was able to see how they got along together and how they were able to take care of their disagreements. Uh, I was very fortunate when I was in Japan recuperating from service-connected wounds that I met a young priest. And the young priest and I got along very, very well. He was, he had just been given his opportunity to be the pastor of a church, a new church in Oakland. He was quite young and very proud of the fact that this is what he had ahead of him. Well, he was in the reserves in the service, and he was called on to active duty, and they sent him to the hospital in Japan. Uh, when Before we got married, I personally did not have too much or pay too much attention to religion. When I was in, going into the service on the application, they question, question you as to what faith that you would have in mind to put that on your dog tag. And so as it came about, when I was recuperating with Japan, this chaplain came in and him and I had a very, very good time talking together and learning together. I went through what the Catholics do, which is the complete catechism before you get baptized. And I was about three quarters of the way through it when I went back to the States. As I had leave of absence from the service, or had, and so I went to the closest Catholic church and learned, followed, learned the rest of my catechism. We had three different sacraments on one evening at the church. We were baptized, well, I was baptized, married, received my first communion, and we, proud, uh, we, we vowed to raise our children in a religious home. So they were brought up Catholic, they went to Catholic school, and uh, they learned about religion. Fortunately, all four of my kids have got very good marriages. They, are, they believe in God, and uh, God has played a part of their lives. So fortunately, uh, I was able to get involved and uh, be a part of that and growing up with the kids. Thanks, Jim. Now, I've had a lot of chance to sit with them, and unfortunately, you don't get that much time. Um, but I do know Jim and Claudette, and they'd love to talk with you afterwards to speak loudly and clearly. Um, so I, I want to share something as they're stepping down. So if we could just thank Jim and Claudette for coming. The one thing that they've taught me, I mean, I get to hear their stories, and I get to hear, um, there's so much more. I wish that you had the opportunity that I've had to sit with them. Um, they're each, they're, they're humble, and yet when they talk about when they were growing up, they weren't, and that should give you hope. It gives me hope, because it lets us know that we're a work in process. We're a work in progress. We are developing and growing, and what God has started, he will carry on to completion. And they don't talk as if they're filled with guilt and shame. They talk as a couple that they laugh 
they laugh about their mistakes. They laugh about who they were. And I hear them say this all the time, and I'll leave you with this, because you're going to need these two words. One of them's a contraction, so we'll call them two words. And if you have these, this will give you so much for your marriage. Because marriage is not about how long you go. It's about how beautiful it is. And the two words that I hear them say a lot and that I've heard them share that they've shared a lot during their 63 years of marriage is this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to need to use it. That doesn't mean you're going to, but you're going to need to use it because you're human. And hopefully the Lord will bless you like they have our grandparents. So I'd like to pray for us. Um, We're going to finish with one song of prayer. So if you could all stand with me. And then the offering will come during that one song. And this is a song. Jared and Hoku have chose several songs. And um, we'll see which one they decide to close us in prayer with. But I know this was a lot of repetition on this one subject. But it's that important that we wanted to make sure it was that clear. So let me pray for us. Father, um, you have given us an unbelievable author and perfecter of faith, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he lived a life of humility, of service. If even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, And that's what we're here for, Lord. But we are like kids, and we want what we want when we want it. We want our Red Ryder BB gun when we want it, and that's what we want. And Lord, please be patient with us. Help us to be patient with ourselves. Prepare us, Father, to be the husbands and the wives that we need to be, whether we're married yet or not. Prepare us, Father. We submit to you with hope that you can make something beautiful. That's what you've always done, Lord. And we thank you for Jim and Claudette giving us a model such as them to look at. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
know if you caught that, but Jerry sent me baseball signals. That was my signal to come up right there, a little arm brush. Nose is the indicator. Nose is the indicator, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, so I'm going to brag, just because. That was my grandparents right there. They're amazing. Let's hear from my they don't like to public speak, but uh, seriously, you should get to know them. They are unreal. Um, they're just, my wife and I just love, we go out to dinner with them sometimes. It's just like, sit and listen, like, wow, what you've been through in life. So talk to them. They like to talk, so they will talk to you. <laughs> um, I'm also going to brag about my wife, because I feel like I scored and married, like, the most amazing person in the world. My grandma's pretty awesome, too. <laughs> but, whoa, we, were, we had the... We had the blessing of Boog did our marriage, and in the, in the ceremony, he said to love is to die, kind of like you talked about, but he said it at ours, <laughs> and, uh, and that's stuck with me and my wife, I know, ever since then. It stuck with me, especially because I say it a lot, like, every morning I pray, God help me to die for my wife today and to serve her in every way, and then even to a fault, because sometimes she's like, stop dying for me and just make a decision, <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to make that face, babe, you don't make that face, um, but our family will make fun of us. I feel like we both live to die for each other, and I think that's what marriage is supposed to be. People laugh at us. Our family laughs at us because we'll fight over who gets to go change the diaper. Or our biggest fights that we have, usually, we don't, like, have big blowout fights, but some of our biggest fights are when we start to pull away for a date night, and our, ki our kids are with my parents or her parents or whatever, and it's time now to figure out where we're going. And we're both, instead of thinking, like, the place we love to go, we're both thinking, oh, I think Jen loves this. And she's like, I know Shane would really love to do this. And it's like this thing that we're both trying to serve the other person, but it turns into like this bicker session of like, <laughs> and then it's like, stop dying. So <laughs> anyhow, I don't know what, but I just wanted to say that I'm married to the most amazing woman in the world. And, um, and my encouragement to you guys is to pray that. I've literally prayed that every morning to just God help me to die. And in the times when, when there's friction in our marriage, because trust me, <laughs> I don't die every day. Um, <laughs> I try, but I suck. Um, but the times when there's friction and I stop and I pray about it and I go, what is going on here? What is it? It's times where I realize, oh, I'm serving myself. I'm trying to get something for myself. I need to die to that thing and realize that I need to die to my wife right now. And then things go a lot smoother. So my encouragement to you is just to love, to die to each other, to fight over it, <laughs> to fight over the poopy diapers and all that cool stuff because um, it's good and to get to know my grandparents because they are they, they have been through – so much. They like skim the surface of like, oh, he went to a war and he got hurt. And he I mean, it's unreal what they've been through. So please just talk to them. They're amazing. So let me pray. And uh, <sighs> Father God, um, I thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage. I love you, Lord. And I just thank you that you give us the ability to have a partner in life 